I love how you ignored my sign. My on air <laughs> sign was lit and you still came in. Huh? Oh, it was a note from the oh. editor. <laughs> Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest new readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about books where love may or may not be in the air. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good. I am. Boy, I feel like we've been recording back to back, getting some good content out there, but... It's been fun. Yes, this weekend was pretty slow, but it was a lot of podcast-related stuff, which I kind of like. It's it's fun. Yeah, we have been, we have really been getting in gear with recordings and reading, which means we've been reading a lot. And I liked that we switched up our um, love episode this year a little bit. I think last year we did uh, Love Gone Wrong, and this time Mm -hmm. I think I think we have a a little different take on it. Although, of yes. course, I I had to bring some love gone wrong. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> Those are some of the our favorite love-related books. But I do have at least one where I'm like, oh, I love this love story. Like, I loved this book. So I'm Same. excited to share about it. First, let me tell you about my loving lately. Sometimes, okay, so remember when I moved and I talked about it a thousand times? This is going to be something I'm going to keep talking about. So please bear with me. <laughs> Jonathan and I decided to run a 10-miler race this May called the Soldier Field 10-Miler. So we're prepping, we're training for it, and it's been really fun. And it reminded me of something I literally cannot go to the gym without. This won't relate to all of our listeners, but I think definitely for some. It's the ultimate sports bra from a company called SheFit. You may have seen the ads for this online because what's different about it is the uh, it's a front clip but there's also like a strap on the back and the straps on your shoulders have Velcro. So it's super easy to adjust. And usually I have to double up if I'm trying to wear a regular sports bra. This one is the only one that truly is high impact. I can just wear one. So it's really, really good. Uh, It gets you really sucked in there. I really love it. I've been running long runs with it and it doesn't bug me at all. I've had mine for over a year now, and it's still holding up perfectly. I obviously wash it a ton, but don't dry it. Just let it hang to dry. My only downside is that it's pricey. It's $75 for a bra, but I'm like, you know what? Cost per wear. <laughs> like It's mm-hmm. much better to have one good one than like 12 ones you don't like. So I figure if it keeps me going to the gym, I will take it. I mean, I wanted to bring it to the show because you know, in case anybody's a runner and is maybe in the market for a new sports bra... It's the ultimate sports bra from SheFit. Right. That is a great loving lately. And also, yeah. you just said you've had it for a year and yes. it's still in great condition. So great condition. that is, mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting what you paid for. for I mean, Truly. absolutely. Yeah. 
And it's a zip front. So sometimes the zippers or the clasps get stretched out or whatever. None of that has happened with this. So okay. anyway. Uh, great. All right. My loving lately is pretty simple. But, you know, I, I tested something out for the pod. This was something I found in one of our, um, our newsletters that I, I put recently. Um, it's kind of like everyday things that you didn't know you needed that make your life easier. And one of them... It's called Bottle Bright Bottle Cleaning Tablets. And the reason I decided to try these out is because I typically daily drink my coffee in a Yeti. Yes. I love mugs. I love, occasionally I'll pour like the end in a mug, but I love my Yeti because it truly, truly keeps my coffee hot for over an hour more, really. I drink it pretty fast. So anyway... I don't tend to wash it with soap because I don't want a soapy taste. So I just rinse oh. it when I'm done. And so we have several Yetis that are completely dark on the inside from tons yeah. of coffee usage. Okay. These tablets, you you fill up your water bottle or your coffee tumbler with water, drop the tablet in, and that's it. It is free of harmful ingredients, um, no scrubbing. It's good for stainless steel bottles, mugs, like hydration types of water bottles, coolers, any hard to clean plastic containers. What it says on the directions is to leave it soak for 15 to 30 minutes. I first let it soak for about an hour, maybe 90 minutes. It didn't get it didn't get everything out. Okay. So then I used another another one and I let it sit overnight. And then the next morning, cleaned it out. My Yeti is brand new. Uh-uh. Took out. Yeah, I, I'm not lying. And took, I've seen, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was there and I used your mug and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like it was just it like, was, oh, it's, it's stained. You know, coffee mug. It's totally, yeah. yeah the, we have several <gasps> Yetis and they, they're just stained. And it's magic. It's completely clear, stained, like looks brand new. Yeah, and I just, I did rinse it. I did go ahead and like give it uh, several rinses just to make sure there wasn't any residue. Like I like my coffee to taste a certain way, my dark roast. So anyway, I, I do think these are winners. It's a pretty low price point. I, I grabbed it on Amazon. So anyway, that's the Bottle Bright Bottle Cleaning Tablets. These are my favorite loving lately's you bring. Like you come up with stuff that I never would have imagined. I didn't know these I existed. And then, I know. Yeah. And, you know, I thought, well, even if, like, even if they don't work, okay, like, but if they do, then great. I can clean all my Yetis and bring it to the show. Right. (laughs) Double win. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Too funny. All right. My latest read was my in real life book club pick for this past month. And it was also a read with Jenna pick. It's The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. And this is a debut about the tangled fates of two best friends and daughters of the Italian mafia. And it's a coming-of-age story of 20th century Brooklyn. So you've got two best friends, Sophia and Antonia. Sophia Calicchio is the free spirit. She's loud and kind of more wild, and her dad is like the big guy in this family. Then you have Antonia Russo, and she is more thoughtful, more quiet, Um, But the girls are best friends. They've been best friends since birth, and they grew up in this 
family, and I'm using that with air quotes, because <laughs> the family, they get together for Sunday dinners. They, you know, discuss business. There's men are in the other room kind of, you know, smoking cigars. And you can just tell they're very, very close. But also there's something going on. There might be some questionable business practices going on. And then Antonia's father disappears. And this really drives a wedge in between the the two girls. But what's nice is then you get to see them grow up. So you see them go into school and then after school and kind of come into their own as women. They're both interested in pushing against the expectations of women, but also, you know, you still kind of see them come together um, as friends. And then one night at the very end, their loyalty is tested and they have to figure out if they're going to stick with the family or kind of go off on their own. I really liked this. I thought it was very readable. And I came to care a lot about the fates of the girls. I did the audio and Marin Ireland is the narrator. Of course, it was awesome. So here's what I'll say. I think if you have a strong opinion about the mafia, you might not like this either way. So if you love all things mafia, you're probably not going to get enough of it because it's in the background. You understand they're a part of it, you know, part of the family, but it's not the center of the story. If you hate the mafia, you're probably not going to be as interested in some of the like underbelly business dealings. Like you just won't care about that. I'm ambivalent. So it was a perfect amount for me. This is much more a friendship story than a mob story. I quite like the time period. It's pretty much set in between World War I and World War II and then through the war and after. And I was really interested about the stories. They have some characters that immigrated to the U.S. because of the war, either illegally or legally, to get away from the war in their home country. And I thought that was a really interesting element. I really liked the relationship between the women. And what I liked specifically is that it's it felt realistic. Because if you've ever had longtime female friendships, especially, there's ups and downs. There's times when you're super tight, see each other all the time. There's times when you grow apart. There's times when somebody's on top and the other person's not, and then it seesaws the other way. I thought, wow, this feels really authentic. But the thing that holds true is no matter how much time has passed, they're still family and they're still there for each other. And you really can't replace that relationship. I liked this for book club. I thought there was a lot to unpack, but also it was really easy to read. So nothing any reader would have to like concentrate too hard on. I would try this author again. I was very pleasantly surprised. This was The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. Okay, good. That used, that was on my TBR at one point. And it oh, just yeah? Felt, uh, yeah, and I, I think good. I forgot about it. So I'm glad you got to read that. Was it a winner for book club overall? Yes, it was. I think by and large, we liked it. Um, there was like maybe, I don't know, nine or 10 of us, including Jonathan. And he he was, he was came around. He had his issues, but he came around <laughs> after we <laughs> talked about it. But also, if you're a book club, this could be really fun to pair food with because there's a lot of Italian food. There's a, oh, you could do like a real fun feast with this. So oh, I think that's that a great be, idea. Yeah, that would be a fun tie-in. Okay, well, my latest read would also fall into the love is in the air or not category. Actually, So all of my reads will fall into that category. It is The Social Climber by Amanda Pellegrino. Yes. Yes. This is a new release. It was one of my January books on the radar, and I did a combination of audio and print. The tagline setup kind of says it all about this story, which is Eliza Bennett is not your normal bride. So why isn't she? 
Well, for I know. Well, for all her planning and scheming, which really got me when I read this, for her dream wedding, she is close to getting married. And as I said, her scheming may be about to pay off. She is planning her wedding to the wealthy, blue-blooded Yale graduate, Graham Walker. But as the big day approaches, secrets from Eliza's attendance at an evangelical college start to throw her true motives into question. Who exactly is Eliza Bennett and what does she really want? That is the basis of the story. The less you know, the better going into this. So if that sounds good, jump right in. The story is told in dual timelines. So you have present day where Eliza is just a few days away from her wedding to Graham. And you have the past where Elizabeth Bennett is starting college at the ultra-conservative, ultra-religious Covenant College. And then the story goes back and forth between the two as the wedding draws closer, and we learn of past and present secrets. So what did I think? This one was tricky for me because I do. it was billed as fast-paced, but I didn't find it to be fast-paced. I found it to be a slower-burn suspense story. And what ended up happening as the story went on, I realized that I really wasn't all that interested in the past timeline as much as I was the present, because in the present timeline, which I thought was really well-paced, I kept wondering, what is Eliza up to? What did she have up her sleeve? I knew she was planning something. And as the reader, you know, she is going to a lot of trouble to fit into Graham's world. And the question is, why? Why is she doing all this? There's definite dark undercurrents going on with Eliza and this family. I was compelled to find out what would happen. As a person, I found Eliza to be somewhat unlikable, but also really compelling. One of those people that you don't really like, but you you want to know what they're doing and how it's all going to play, like come out for them. Uh, I enjoyed, really enjoyed her subtle and not so subtle observations of the high society privileged elites that she was surrounding herself with. And I enjoyed the supporting characters who were a lot of rich people behaving badly. My main issues with the story involve a very excessive amount of dwelling on Eliza's weight and disordered eating. This was this is a huge content warning for this story. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why it was included to the extent that it was. I don't think it furthered the plot or gave us any real purpose for the character. When I finished the story, the first word that came to my mind was predictable. Uh, mm. I found it predictable. I I overall was a bit disappointed when I finished, uh, and I realized that overall I enjoyed the journey of the story much more than the destination. So that was The Social Climber by Amanda Pellegrino. All right. Good job on that. I was so, you know, the cover is really good, and it yeah. just sounds, it sounds like a book we've heard before. But when I see those, I want it to be a little different. I'm like, make it something I like in my wheelhouse, but just a little different. Still surprised me. And it sounds like that didn't quite land for you. Right. The destination didn't land for me. (laughs) Okay. But it was a fun read. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, once I got into the flow, like I, I'd probably say give it about, if you feel like it's too slow, maybe give it about 20 or 25%. And I do mm-hmm. feel that it picked up. Okay. Good to know. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, it is love week as we are dropping this episode. And you all know if you've listened to us for any period of time, we're not the biggest readers of romance, but we wanted to bring a love episode and talk a little bit more about some of the tropes in literature, especially as it relates to romance. And I think we do both like stories that have romantic relationships in them, whether they're love stories or maybe more dark stories. Do you read romance at all? I would have said not really, but then when I was doing some research and looking at the definitions for some of the romance Ah. tropes, Mm -hmm. it made me think that there were some books that I've obviously read that I wouldn't have categorized as romance, but because there was a love story, then they would be considered romance. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I almost... Okay. One thing I'm definitely wanting to make clear is that read romance if you like it. I like reading romance on occasion. I feel like people like kind of look down sort of on romance books, and I don't know what that is. I don't think it's our people that are like really in the book world, but I think in general, if there's like maybe a steamier cover or something, they almost get a negative connotation or people are like, oh, I don't read romance. And I'm like, I'm always on the side of read what you like. And so we're going to list some of the tropes that typically can be found. I was shocked at how many there are, but as Mm -hmm. I was reading through it, I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense. So there are some that I'm like not a fan of. This doesn't mean you're, you know, a bad reader. (laughs) If you like certain (laughs) tropes, you know, we don't want to shame anybody's yum or yuck on anybody's yum, but I do want to like talk a little bit about some of them. So I love this. You found the definition of a story trope, which whether it's literature or in film, A a story trope is a totally expected situation between two characters that moves the action forward. So when I read that, I think, but isn't that kind of a spoiler? Like, don't we know what we're getting? That's what I thought, too. And and my initial thought was, I prefer a totally unexpected situation between two characters. Mm -hmm. And that moves it forward for me. But I, I get that with some of the romance trope, I think a lot of people find comfort in knowing yes. what what they're going to get when they pick it up. Okay. So I don't mind tropes if they're used as more of like a jumping off point, more of a, okay, for example, this list has like a ton. I'm talking a ton. I was like, oh my gosh, there really are a lot. I don't mind if it's used as a jumping off point, but like some of them I like more than others. So the first one on the list is age gap. And initially I was like, absolutely not. No, thank you. (laughs) And I was like, but wait a minute. What about the idea of you by Robin Lee? Because I think age gap and I think older man, younger woman, but that's not always the case. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can be okay with it. It still, I think makes me feel a little squishy, but like if it's well-written, I'll give it a pass. This next one is not for me. I am not a fan of the alpha male trope. <laughs> like I don't mm-hmm. need, I need equality. I don't like, and, and obviously I'm speaking in generalizations. I am sure there's books where the alpha male could work. I remember liking 50 Shades of Grey. That's kind of what I thought in, in right. reading some of these. I liked the story in 50 Shades. Like that was what kept me reading. So I'm going to go through a couple others. Um, enemies to lovers we see a lot. Mm-hmm. 
I, I'm, I'm not going to run toward or away from a book if I know that's in it. I, I don't particularly care. One that I don't love is fake dating, where it's like, oh, you know, they're going to, because for some reason, like they need to do it for the family or do it for some other reason. They like fake date and then they end up falling in love. I'm like, eh, all right, that's fine. I like friends to lovers. That one I think is a trope that I would read if I know it's like, will they or won't they? There's that tension. They've known each other for a long time. And second chance romance. That for me is, I always think of Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Mm. And that one was a fantastic second chance romance. So some of my favorite books in this kind of love sphere have been second chance. So I think that is one that I'm attracted to. Okay. In looking at the list, I would say I'm pretty sure, I I knew this about myself, but this is kind of confirming it to me. I tend to like love stories that have a lot of complications because I, I also personally like to not necessarily know if everything's going to turn out okay. I'm one of those yeah. people that I don't I don't need it to turn out okay. So for that reason, I am drawn to love triangles which just give me a love triangle. I really I don't need to know that much more about it, but if there is a love triangle because that that is inherently complicated. Yeah. Who's can what do you someone's- someone has to choose you can't have both for an indefinite period of time. And so the, just that, that really gets me. That is a trope that I usually will always give a try. I also really, really like the idea of forbidden love. Oh, really? Yes. Tell me more. Forbidden love. Well, if it is a story where either people are from different backgrounds. I guess age could fall into that a little yeah. bit, but I'm thinking different cult people from different cultures, people Ooh, from okay. different ways of life, people who just for whatever reason it could be they're married to other people. It their love is forbidden. I yeah. need to know more. I need to know how yeah. they're going to navigate that. Is it going to turn out okay? Are they you know, are they doomed? I just, yeah. you know, they, that presents so many dilemmas and I want to read about it. Okay. And I also really like the opposites attract trope mm-hmm. because that also lends itself to, is it all going to work out? If you're opposites, can you come together? Is your, Can you find love or are you not meant to be together? And so, yeah, yeah, I feel like these tropes can go... Either way, they can end happily or they can end not so happily uh, on that. And the one that I see on some of the lists that is not really for me, I don't like the fake dating either, like you said, but I also am not really into insta-love. Like instant, immediate love. But then does that mean we don't like— Unless it's well done. Okay, but that's what I was going to say. Does that mean we don't like— love at first sight, because I kind of do, well, that would be insta-love, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you. Ha- I need to know, okay, if you're going to do love at first sight, we need more depth there. We need to right. see the relationship. Maybe they don't live next to each other, or there's like, you know, one of them is married, the other one isn't, and then there's like a divorce, or there's something that happens. Like, I need a time in between, or some sort of conflict, or something. I don't love the wow, I see her across the room and like, that's my wife. And like, bam, they're in love. It's like, okay. Mm -hmm. But like, 
how? Like, make me believe your love story in, instead of it just being this initial connection. Gotcha. I think I would feel the same way. Exactly. Yeah. What do you, do you like the meat cute? No, not, not really. <laughs> yeah. I don't need a cute meat. I, you know what trope I do like is if they're going to meet and it's under like, okay, at a costume party and they don't know who the other person is, but they end up actually knowing who the other one is. Or maybe it's two people that haven't seen each other in a really long time. They end up being like, oh my God, I actually do know who you are. I don't love a super cheesy, like I'm thinking of one book in particular that I did actually like where the dog came in through the sunroof and they ended up the the owner and the, I think the dog owner and the person fell in love. It's an Abby Jimenez book. I can't remember which one. The Happy Ever After playlist. And it was cute. It was, it like made me chuckle, but like, I'm not going to, if I see, oh, it's a meat cute, I, I might be hesitant. Okay. Gotcha. So before we end, I do think it is helpful to have all of these tropes. And we will link to the articles that we used because if you're in the mood for something specific, you can Google these particular tropes and get book lists that way. Or you you can know yourself better and know that if you read a synopsis or a blurb that has this particular setup, that maybe if it's your anti buzzword, then you'll know to steer clear. So I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of fun to know all of these different possibilities. Let's end on our thoughts on happily ever afters. Mm -hmm. A lot of times books are marketed and we go in knowing that they're in the category of a happily ever after. First, do you think that's a spoiler? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I mean, I understand why they use it. I don't want to know. Like, I don't, I'm going to assume it's probably going to end up happily ever after, but like, I don't need you to tell me that on the jacket because I want to find out on my own. Right. Well, I learned something because I think when you and I were talking about doing this topic, I said, I don't like happily ever after. Yes. Yes, you did. And then doing the research for this, I'm seeing that according to the articles that a happily ever after doesn't have to end happily (laughs) Like, it doesn't mean that we aren't going to cry and be emotional. It doesn't mean, it doesn't even mean that the people end up together, which I didn't know. Got you. I see. As long as there is love, as long as we end the story knowing that true love really exists, then that story would be considered a romance and a happily ever after. So I learned something new. I did not. I did not see it like that. So one of the stories, one of the books that uh, was mentioned was Me Before You. I would not have, I guess I would not have ever thought of that as a happily ever after, but that it was in this category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, I actually really do like happily ever afters then because I just prefer mine to be bittersweet, truly. I I kind of like when, yeah, I I, I like when I get to cry or... I like when perhaps the story, the love story does not go where I thought it was going to go. I know. And I know there's some readers that are exactly the opposite. If they don't get their happily ever after, they're mm-hmm. going to be very disappointed, which I can understand. If you come in wanting it to be happily ever after and it's not or it's ambiguous, like mm, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Right. Right. Okay. So those are some romance tropes as far as as love stories where people are either looking for love, found love, lost love in a reasonable way. (laughs) Then we have 
the tropes that we might find involving quote-unquote love that are in psychological thrillers, where on the surface there seems to be love, but something darker is going on or things go very, very wrong for the couple. And what I thought for this was stories where the wife or the husband or whoever is in the relationship is hiding secrets from the past. And usually those turn out to be big and it can blow up the relationship. It can, you know, blow up their lives. And that was the one trope that I thought we see a lot in psychological thrillers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love a good dark psychological thriller with love at the center. I mean, love question mark i don't know there are love stories they're dark love stories right i and and uh there i feel like there's so many ways it can go wrong cuz like i don't want to see like very intense situations of abuse like that is not something that i'm reading for in my fiction um i do like when there's a secret though and like you don't know the one of the partners like doesn't know if it's going to come out it's almost hard to talk about this these types of twisty relationships in psych thrillers because it's almost a spoiler (laughs) because I'm always thinking about the ending. I'm like, oh yeah, the husband did it or, you know, the (laughs) wife was planning her escape, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can't really, you don't want to say that. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, going in often based on the synopsis, whether one of the people in the relationship or marriage appears to be a great loving person and then ends up showing a different side. And that's, yes. that's, I enjoy reading about that. I also enjoy when outside forces like families can conspire to yeah. change the dynamics. So I, I guess I do, I like a dark love story every now and then. I definitely think the social climber would fall into mm-hmm. that sort of like person hiding secrets from the past. Also, maybe person who has intentions that are not lovable. Mm -hmm. That book definitely has several of those elements. So I don't know. It's fun. There is definitely a market for this husband and wife dark side. Because remember, there was a span Mm -hmm. of like five, six years where all of the thrillers had the husband in the mirror, the wife in the bread basket or whatever. (laughs) Like there was so many titles that came out with husband and wife in the title, the wife before, the wife between us, the wife and I. Like there was, there still, I think is a ton. So there's obviously something there. I think we did talk about this last year where it's like, that is your, you know, the person you spend the most time with, you're building a life with somebody. And so when there's some deception there, ooh, that's when it gets juicy. Yes, deception. You're exactly right. Well, let me tell you about my first book. If we're if we're wrapping up our our trope talk in mm-hmm. book talk, I I loved this book. I loved it, and it was Delilah Green doesn't care by Ashley Herring Blake. There are a few tropes in this one that I did like. There was the best friend's brother slash sister. There's a little bit of a bet, so that's a trope too that we didn't quite talk about. But like, it's like that movie. She's all that. We're like, oh, the quarterback is bet that he could like go to the prom with this girl. Like there's a little bit of a dating bet in this one and a little bit of grumpy sunshine. But overall, this book had everything that I like in my rom-coms. This is a clever, queer, romantic comedy about a photographer 
who swore off her hometown, who comes back and inadvertently hits it off with her estranged sister's best friend. So you've got Delilah Green. She's the central character, and she left her hometown of Bright Falls, Oregon, as soon as she could and never looked back. Her father married this woman and unfortunately passed when she was super young, like 10, and her mom had already passed. So she grew up kind of very lonely, even though she did have this step family. She rebuilt her life in New York and is a photographer there. And her career is finally gaining steam, and she's definitely having fun in her love life. But then her estranged stepsister, Astrid, pressures her into photographing her wedding. And guilt trips her into coming back, and they also pay her really handsomely. So she's like, fine, let me go back and do this wedding. She plans to just breeze in and breeze out, but then she sees Claire Sutherland, one of Astrid's stuck-up best friends, and decides to have a little fun with her because Claire doesn't recognize Delilah. So she decides, oh, she's hitting on me. I'm going to hit on her too and like get this person that she used to know when she was little to like like her a little bit because she wanted to piss off her stepsister. Claire is the complete opposite. She's a single mom. She's very sweet, very kind. And what I loved about this is you really come to know all of the characters pretty well in this story. They all were very well fleshed. Not all. The majority of them, the central characters, were very well fleshed out. And they made me feel a wide range of emotions. Like, I was amused at some of Delilah's snarky comments. There was real emotion when the some of the characters were working through their own traumas. I was rooting for them to figure things out. This is long. I, I was surprised. It was like 370 pages or so. And I would call it more of a slow burn. It's not one that gets spicy right in the beginning, but I was totally fine with that. The dialogue was funny and not too cheesy, which I'm always kind of having a little radar for. And I love that there are follow-up books that feature some of the side characters at as the main character. So the next one is from the point of view of her stepsister, Astrid. I definitely will be checking it out. I had so much fun with this book and I highly recommend it. It's Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Okay, good. I'm glad that worked for you. I loved it. And shout out to, God, I don't even know who, probably someone in our Patreon group who in our Discord mentioned it, but I had not, I knew nothing about it, but I kept seeing the cover and I'm like, yeah, let me try it. And I just loved it. Oh, I love when a book surprises us like that. All right. My first book is Big Swiss by Jen Began. Oh boy, this book. Uh, I can't, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, but also I, it's hard to talk about. Okay. I will say I did listen to this one and the audio production is phenomenal. If you can get this on audio, that is the way to go. There are multiple narrators who read, and it reads like, I shouldn't say reads, it sounds like a movie script, if that makes sense. Timing is essential in this story because of the amount of dialogue, and the narrators brought the characters to life. The timing was impeccable. Let me tell you what it's about. Greta lives with her friend Sabine, and they live in an ancient Dutch farmhouse in Hudson, New York. This house is falling apart. It is unrenovated, uninsulated, and full of bees. And by the end, you will wonder, like I did, why are they living there? But Greta needed somewhere to stay, and Sabine offered her this house. So Greta spends her days transcribing therapy sessions for a sex coach who calls himself Om. And 
While listening to many, many clients, she becomes infatuated with one of his newest clients, a repressed married woman she affectionately refers to as Big Swiss. Since this person is described as tall, stoic, and originally from Switzerland, Greta becomes fascinated and a bit obsessed by Big Swiss's refreshing attitude toward trauma. So yes, there is a lot of trauma talk in this story. They both have very dark histories, but Big Swiss chooses to remain unattached to her trauma while Greta continues to be tortured by her past. And then... One day, while Greta is out with her dog, and Greta loves her dog, so that is a big plus for this book. One day while she's out with her dog, she recognizes Big Swiss's voice at a public place. And in a panic, she ends up introducing herself with a fake name, and they quickly become entangled in each other's lives. Now, Big Swiss is unaware of Greta's true identity, And then Greta ends up continuing to transcribe sessions. Okay, that is the basic setup of this story. What will happen when Greta's attraction to Big Swiss overrides her guilt over what she's doing, when she decides that she will do anything to keep this quote-unquote relationship going? And the question I want to leave you with is, Will they have a happily ever after, or will this supposed relationship be doomed from the start? All right. This book is one of the weirdest books I have ever read. (laughs) It's very strange. My reading, listening experience with this book was a roller coaster. I absolutely loved the opening chapters. I would have told you if you would have asked me in the opening chapters, this book is five stars. I loved Greta's dry, sarcastic, yet often witty humor. I mean, this book is funny. Greta comes across as very funny at times. She's very sarcastic. I laughed out loud several times, but then there was a point and it really came kind of out of nowhere. I found it to be so off-putting and it had to do with her listening to some of his uh, sessions. Now, mind you, he's a sex therapist. So, you know, you're Mm -hmm. going to get some very graphic sexual language. It was, I found it off-putting. I decided, okay, I'm done. I'm going to DNF this. It went on my DNF list for us before our DNF episode. And then the next day, I couldn't stop thinking about Greta. And I was thinking, oh gosh, I kind of miss, I kind of miss hearing like more from Greta. And I... And it did make me laugh, so I resumed listening. And I truly don't know where I end up landing with this rating. As the story went on, there were so many parts that were five stars. The dialogue, the pace, the characterization, all of that were five stars. The explicit, often crude sexual details during sessions did feel cringy at times. And I didn't like and have issues with probably the last 25% of the book. And that's really all I can say about it. But if you've read it, I would like to talk to you about it and see if you also feel the same. I do think Greta is the absolute star of this story. I return to it for her, especially her commentary of Ohm's sessions, which made the story for me. It was so funny at times. What was surprising, really surprising, was how this was 
combined with her very tragic, traumatic background, as well as then her love for her dog. And I really wanted a happy ending for her. And obviously, you're going to have to read to find out if she got one. What I do want to leave you with is check content warnings. The amount of content warnings in this story are abundant. For just about any issue you can think of, it's probably in this story. So it does kind of make it more interesting that it's there's so much darkness, but there's also so much humor. I don't know. I don't know if I've convinced you, but if you do read it, I'd love to hear what you think. It's Big Swiss by Jen Began. Well, yes, you've convinced me. I've wanted really? to read this since you brought it to Mailbag last year. So I think Mailbag, whatever. You you talked about it, or maybe it was a, a shelf edition. Either way, I was like, oh, yeah, the setup is mm-hmm. amazing. I definitely will get to it. I'm glad to hear the audio was good. And I love when you decide to DNF a book, not you specifically, but in general, where you DNF a book and then you're like, but I can't stop thinking of the characters. It's almost like if you put the book aside and you're still called to read it, that's a good sign for you as a reader. Yes. And I am glad I finished it. I am glad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Next for me is called All This Could Be Different by Sarah Van Cam Matthews. And okay, I'm bending the rules a little bit with this one. It is not a romance book at all, but there's love in it. Um, It's about finding what you like, finding what you don't like. It's about friend love. There's a bit of a will they or won't they. And most of all, it's about the importance of timing and letting go if you have to. So this book is a queer, sad girl, millennial story. That's how I would describe it in a sentence or less. I kept seeing it toward the end of 2022. It's on a few best of lists and I knew nothing about it. I just put a hold on it. I also could not for the life of me keep this title in my head. All this could be different. I would like mix up some of the (laughs) words, but I was kind of in a reading slump and I was just trying and sampling a bunch of different books. And this one I saw my audio came through. I put it on and almost immediately got sucked in. The narrator was amazing. Her name was Rena Dutt. So I would say if you try this one, you'll know if it's for you by about 10%. So the story itself starts in 2008 in Milwaukee. And what was so cool, I I live not too far from Milwaukee. Milwaukee is definitely a character in this book. And I've never read a book where like Milwaukee is at its center. So I really appreciated that. It's about Sneha and her family immigrated to the U.S. when she was in high school. But due to some personal issues, they had to go back to India. So she was left here on her own. Now, she's a full adult, but still, her family was no longer in the same country as her. So she had a lot of uh, struggle with that. She graduated during the Great Recession in 2008. So she's feeling very lucky to have this grueling entry-level job that she has because many of her friends are still unemployed. She's very careful And is very proud of herself that she can pay for drinks when her friends go out and an occasional dinner, but she's still in a recession, so she's very worried about money. And she's new to Milwaukee and is not in a relationship, though she's open to it. So she recently came out to her parents and is still thinking about what that means for her. She ends up befriending this person named Tig. I loved Tig, one of my favorite characters. And she's also still friendly with Tom, who she went to college with. And then you have the love element comes in. She gets into a complicated entanglement with this beautiful dancer named Marina. Before long, trouble arrives. There's secrets. Jobs go off the rails. And terrible neighbors potentially can cause eviction. So 
You watch as Sneha struggles to be truly close and open with anybody, even the people she loves the most in the world. I thought this book was extremely readable. Hear me when I say, not a lot happens. (laughs) This is very (laughs) character-driven. I was hooked. I related to a lot of it, and I loved spending time here, but it's not a plot-driven story. I also graduated with my master's during the Great Recession and totally resonated with a lot of their concerns about careers and money. You just put all this money into a degree, and now there's no jobs. Like, I actually loved that part. They talked a lot about that, and I'm like, I don't read that often in fiction. I liked the writing a lot. I thought it was excellent. And I will say, I did not always like the characters or their choices, but I understood it from a characterization point of view. And I think the author did a great job with that. The only part of this that gave me pause was the main character's views on gender, particularly as it pertains to non-binary folks. There was a sentence that like stopped me in my tracks. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what? And I was hoping for more growth in that area. I was hoping it would come back around. But I still think this is a very readable book. It's very much worth the read, especially if you like books that center on a group of friends trying to find themselves. If you're looking for a story about culture, queerness, identity, friendship, and that time in your life in that early to mid-20s, give this a shot. It was All This Could Be Different by Sarah Thanken Matthews. Okay, good. All right. My next read is my favorite for today. It is The Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill. I picked this up pretty immediately after I saw Anne at Candles to Books on Instagram rave about it in her Instagram stories. And Anne is one of my trusted sources. I always look to see what she's reading. And she used a couple words like magical and dark. And I was like, oh, I'm in between reads. Let me pick this up. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did. And actually, I didn't know anything about it before I picked it up. I just went off of her buzzwords and I'm so glad I didn't know anything. So I'm not going to tell you much of anything at all. This is about two babies who are abandoned in a Montreal orphanage in the winter of 1910. And it's not too long as they grow before their talents begin to emerge. Perot is a piano prodigy. And Rose lights up even the dreariest rooms with her dancing and comedy. And as they grow, as they get a little bit older, they begin to travel around the city performing clown routines. And they also start to fall in love with each other as children do in a friendship way. They are best friends. They love to be around each other. And they start dreaming up plans for what they think will be the most extraordinary and seductive circus show the world has ever seen. They want to go out. They want to do this. They want to live like that when they get out of the orphanage. But as time goes on and amidst the harsh and very abusive conditions at the orphanage, Rose and Perot seek comfort from their friendship, but they also are torn apart at different stages. They're here for many years, many years. We're going into their teenage years. And just a heads up for some very, like I said, abusive scenes in the beginning. Now, when they reach a certain age, they are separated against their will, and both Rose and Perot will descend into the city's underworld during the Great Depression. And the question is, will their paths ever cross again? And that's all you need to know. Oh my gosh, this book, this is a bit of a 
a definite genre matchup. This is historical fiction, but it's also romance. It's also magical realism. It is also a bit of psychological suspense at times. I know that I didn't give you very much to go on, but this story is magical. It was dark. It was emotional. It was surprising. What I really found especially intriguing was that the writing was so lyrical and it it had a definite musicality to it. That is not something you hear me say very often. It is, if you would have told me that before I picked it up, I might not have even picked it up, but I loved it. At times, the writing felt very fantastical. You're definitely in fantasy worlds at times. At other times, it was very dark and suspenseful. There is a dreamlike quality to how Rose and Perot navigated the world and lived their lives, and they needed to do that. Oftentimes, they need to do that just to survive. It was grounded in reality in terms of the darkness of the Great Depression, the struggles to survive, and what happens when life and other people tried to destroy each of them. I could not stop listening to this. I did alternate with print and audio. Julia Whalen narrates the story, and so I very much enjoyed the audio. The story surprised me on so many levels. It was dazzling. It was entertaining. And one of my favorite things about it, it was bittersweet and bingeable. My only criticism is that I found there was an excessive use of similes. I don't know why. Once I noticed that, and I think it probably was because of the audio, once I noticed that, it can tend to bug me. Just for me, a little goes a long way. And I also felt that there wasn't a real need for the similes because the writing was so strong. It was so, so strong. I love this story. I predict now in February that it could very well have a place in my top reads of the year. I want to leave you with this. If you enjoyed The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue and or Demon Copperhead, I predict that you will also enjoy this. It is The Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill. I'm so glad you read that. And Anne did a fantastic job in her review. She always just posts her uh, copy and paste of her Google review. And I immediately downloaded it too. But by the time you said you were reading it, you were already 70% in. So you dove right into this book. And I'm so glad. It sounds like it found you at the perfect time. (sighs) I want to read all of the books you mentioned. So I'm like, huh, yeah, that's going to be a trick (laughs) to to fit these in. Yes. Yeah. And reviews really, her reviews are really well written. Don't worry. I'll link to her um, because she is on Goodreads and Instagram. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, let me shut. I almost, oh, okay. My shelf edition is, oh boy, it's Penance by Kane Minato. And you might recognize that author's name. I brought Confessions by Kane Minato a couple mm-hmm. years ago or last year. Did, haven't shut up about it ever since. This book came back to the surface because it's a story about revenge. And somebody said, oh, if you like revenge, you'll like this story. And I'm like, wait a minute. I have this book. I downloaded it. I bought it for like, you know, it was probably a Kindle deal years ago. And it just came back to the surface. So let me tell you about this book. When they were children, Say, Makai, Akiko, and Yuko were tricked into separating from their friend, 
Emily by a mysterious stranger. And then the unthinkable occurs. Emily is found murdered hours later. Sai, Mackay, Akiko, and Yuko weren't able to accurately describe the stranger's appearance to the police after her body was discovered. And Asako, who is Emily's mother, curses the surviving girls and vows that they will pay for her daughter's murder. That's it. I'm going to leave you with that. This is a dark tale. It is a tale of revenge and psychological trauma. In the other one, in Confessions, the revenge story, I understood the motivation. This one, I'm like, but what? they were tricked. They're just young children themselves. So I'm a little nervous. But if you have a chance, look at the cover of this. It's a close-up of a woman's face with like one tear coming down. Oh. I have chills just thinking about it. So I'm going to try this and hopefully bring it to the show at some point. Uh, but that book is Penance by Kane Minato. Okay. Ooh, yes. I can't wait to hear about that one. That sounds good. All right. My shelf edition is something that we, I guess you would consider, you would call this a trope. It's something that we tend to like. It is called A Good Family by Matt Goldman. It's about the secrets hidden underneath a picture-perfect neighborhood. And this book comes out May 30th. This is about Katie Coleman and the fact that her marriage is kind of falling apart. She has a secure job. Her children are healthy. She has a great house and lives in a country club neighborhood in Minnesota. On the surface, her life is beautiful. And she can almost ignore the way her husband, Jack, has been acting. Constantly checking his phone, not going to work, disappearing from the house, only to show up again without explanation. While this is all going on, tension is also increasing within the house when Jack's friend from college, Adam, shows up. He says he happens to be in the neighborhood, and also he needs a place to stay. And Jack decides to welcome him with open arms into their home. But then Jack's behavior only gets worse, becomes more strange, and Katie fears that their new guest is also harboring a dark secret. And soon she begins to uncover the truth. And once she does, she realizes that something is terribly wrong and she is going to have to race to protect her family as danger closes in. All right. That sounds good to me. It is A Good Family by Matt Goldman. <laughs> God, what is wrong with this? Like, why are I we know. like, yeah, dark secrets, revenge, got it. To add it to the list. I know. Uh, all right. Uh, especially in in our love episode, too. We, we were like, you know what? This is too sweet. We got to bring dark uh, shelf editions. <laughs> uh, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content like our DNF episode we dropped this week, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at BookTalkEtc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. True love does exist, and there is a happily ever after, sort of, except she fucking dies. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
not the happiest. 